Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know. Not to know what you believe or why you believe it. It is just about the journey of faith that we're on and the discovery and exploration that we are encouraged to do throughout our life together and certainly our life with Christ. My name is Nathan Whitaker, and I am recording this outside of our conversation with an Old Testament teacher. That is because this is the second part of that conversation. I'm so excited for you to be able to hear this uh, second part because Sarah is just a wonderful person and has a wonderful insight and has so much to teach and to help us understand uh, as a person on the frontier with us. Although I could talk about my excitement forever, I just want us to get right into the podcast. So without further ado, here is the continuation and conclusion of our conversation with Sarah, an Old Testament teacher. So I'm just curious then, not that you have to like give a, you know, hour long theological presentation, but Sorry. you said, no, no, I'm t- you said that you think the interpretation of Genesis 1 to 3 kind of colors almost every other doctrine in a, like it, it uh, filters it in a way that maybe isn't helpful. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering if you could say more about that or maybe give an example or, or whatever, however you want to, to do that. But um, sure. So I'm a as I said, I'm an English major, so I have a hard time reading anything and not seeing it through the lens of like, what is the author trying to convey? Um, And I think that's where it kind of started for me was, I used to say, oh, creation is only two chapters of the whole Bible. Like, don't make it a hill to die on. Like, and I think that was my solution to listening to Christians debate evolution versus creation. But, um, In my heart, I was thinking, well, but this is the introduction of the whole book. So he didn't have to give us the story of creation. So if he's giving us the story of creation, what is it that he's telling us in it? And rather than trying to decide what he's not saying, um, let's try to figure out what it does reveal um, about who our God is. And so I come from a church body that actually has in the books now that we believe uh, creation was done in a six 24 hour day. And I look at Genesis one and two and I say, I don't, I don't see that. Yeah. <laughs> um, not that I can't have it not be that like, I'm okay if it's not, I'm, I, I'm okay if it is six 24 hour days, but I'm also okay if it's not like, I'm okay if it's billions of years old. Um, and so I started to really dig into like, what does the ancient Near East world say? about the universe. And so I teach all my students, like Moses didn't, Moses wasn't privy to the fact that we are on a floating rock that is, you know, you know, turning on a certain axis around, you know, all these other, like he didn't know that he thought the earth was flat, surrounded by water uh, with a dome over top of it that had a track of the sun, moon and stars on it constantly going and there was a bunch of water above that and then the heaven of heavens was above that like that's what he believed um i don't think that the god of the universe was going to come down and be like let me explain to you quantum physics like (laughs) that's like explaining the cloud to my mom right like it's just not it's not gonna happen um 
And so when you understand that that's what Moses believed about the universe and then you read it, you're like, oh my goodness, what a beautiful depiction of a God who has orchestrated this entire universe for the well-being of man. And then like I make my students, they they learn about the Enuma Elish, the Babylonian account. I make them learn the Egyptian account where um, I teach the Old Testament because I'm kind of gross and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, middle school boy at heart. So um, the, I teach the Egyptian account where one of the gods masturbates and that's the, uh, Egyptian mythology. That's humanity. Is wild. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I read, I read one where Ra gave birth to himself. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, and doesn't yeah. the sky have sex with the earth too? That's like a huge thing. Yeah. See guys, that's why we teach the old Testament. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's one from an African tribe where like a guy vomits, he just has a bad stomach and he vomits out all the universe. And that. so anyways, <laughs> you, when you see that and you're like, Oh my goodness, Moses is speaking in that environment and has the audacity to claim a, that the universe is good. Nobody else is saying yeah. that. Um, B that the God of the universe cares about humanity and cares about the rest of creation and that the God of the universe did this purposefully and has tasked humanity with taking care of it. Like he called us kings and queens, like to be made in the image of God was a term for kings. So for Moses to believe that as he's sitting there under the rule of Pharaoh who claims to be the God, and that's his justification for enslaving you because they believe that the gods just put humanity here to be slaves to them. And then, oh, guess what? I'm the king in charge. And oh, guess what? I'm a, I'm a god. Oh, oh, does that mean you guys have to bow down to me and do everything I ask you to? Oh, how convenient for me, right? <laughs> right. Like, But then Moses is sitting there and the people of God are in this system and believe, oh, no, we've been called kings. Like that's mind boggling. The God... Like now we see these ancient views as so, you know, archaic because oh, we would never tell people that humanity is not good, right? Like that's just not a common thing to say in the 21st century. How progressive that understanding of Genesis is to the ancient Near East world yeah. is like, it, that's, I was talking about this with my sister who she's not Christian and she read Genesis just because she wanted to. Uh, and we were talking about it. And I said, isn't it amazing? Like the God of the universe revealed a timeless truth to these Hebrew people and preserved it through the scriptures so that even today we can listen to that and go, that's just true. It's just true that our God loves us and gave humanity the task of taking care of each other and taking care of this place. And that's just beautiful, right? But I was not taught that was the image of God. Like, mm -hmm. as a girl, you're taught, oh, God. As a girl, you're constantly being tossed, like, you're in God's image. Don't you know you're beautiful? And I'm like, I know I'm beautiful, but it has nothing to do with, <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. Um, and I think the other, the other one is, like, you guys touched on this a bit in, in past podcasts, but, like, the orders of creation stuff is... It's bananas. <laughs> it's yeah. Somebody call Gwen Stefani because it is B A N A N A S. Like I mean, it's weird. And 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 some of the things. So it's interesting. I I should have made you guys 
do this at the beginning of the, the podcast and I'll make the podcast listeners do it and retroactively apply it. Uh, I make my students at the beginning of the year um, agree that um, you will not think any question is dumb. Uh, do you agree? Nate and Ryan, I require verbal consent. Oh, you mean, you mean, you mean, okay. Agree. Um, yeah, I'm in fact, that's, yeah. that's cool. Uh-huh. Okay, so so you can't make fun of anyone if they ask a question. Um, and then the second thing that I make my students agree to is we will not think anyone in this classroom is a heretic. Hmm. Nope, well, I verbal consent, really believe, Ryan and I don't Nate. even really believe in heretics these days, so I'm good. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm the same. And, <laughs> and I do that because I want them to ask questions. Um, and I guess I say that now because I hope no one on this podcast thinks I'm a heretic. Uh because I think that there's, we've lost the opportunity to like ask questions because we're afraid that it doesn't match our denomination or it doesn't match our tradition or it doesn't match what my neighbor believes or my family believes or whatever it is. And so for me, I look at the orders of creation and I, I make my students, they keep a log, they ask questions and they come up with some amazing questions that I never see in the text, right? But Sometimes it's because they've never read it before and I'm reading it coming from the perspective of having taught it 14 years. Mm-hmm. So I've read it a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of in the last couple of years, um, I noticed even the concept of orders of creation, we're applying the decree that Yahweh gives in chapter three about men and women's relationships to a pre-fall Eden. Like we are saying the like men ruling over women that's talked about as being after the fall. That's what we're saying was a part of the creation itself mm-hmm. in Genesis one and two, which just going sequentially, that's not, no, <laughs> you're going out of order. Um, and, and, even just like the, like if you look at how crazy controversial Yahweh's declaration of humanity is to the ancient Near East world, I look at, to me, when I read Genesis 1 and that pivotal passage about God created them, male and female, he created them, right? Like, Contrary to what a lot of people in my denomination believe, I don't think that has anything to do with gender identity. Um, God only created two genders. I think it's about this idea that like men and women are put on equal playing field. Like they're both tasked. They're both in the image of God. They're both kings and queens. They're both like how audacious is that to the rest of the ancient Near East world? Mm-hmm. Um, or you read some of the epistles and like, I know you guys were talking about some of the issues you have with Paul, but even like I look at Colossians and the idea that if I was a Christian woman in Colossa talking to a, a woman who was not of Christian faith and talking about my relationship with my husband and whether or not it was put in practice, like it, it seems like we're supposed to have a relationship that is mutual and loving and respectful mm-hmm. and how crazy that would seem to, to outsiders. Again, whether that was put in practice or or what that all means, I just I have a hard time believing that the God of the universe was so counter the culture in all these other aspects, but then like gender norms. He was like, yes, 
Yeah, we'll keep that one. Women, <laughs> go make a sandwich, right? Like, yeah. that's that's part of. I like that juxtaposition between uh, Genesis three verse sixteen. I had to look it up because I'm that kind of person. So yeah, uh, the the version I like says to the woman, he said, "I will make your pregnancy very painful, and pain you will bear children." You will desire your husband, but he will rule over you. Um, yeah. I love that between um, man and woman, he created them. Um, because you're right. He puts uh, the the psalmist, or the psalmist, I mean, he writes like a psalmist, but Moses or whoever wrote it puts those two together, man and woman, and then separates them in 316. Uh, and... What's uh, what I always find interesting, you flash forward to Paul, and I actually did this this morning because we talked about a fun chapter, Leviticus 12. Um, and Ooh. yeah, it was great. Uh, but we, we, you know, see in Paul, Ephesians 5, you know, we like to pick out the gender role part of that, but there's a very strong pronouncement of how he's recreating something there. He's working within Paul to to say, you know, marriage shouldn't look like it does for how much of history it needs to look different. And I wonder, I haven't thought of this, but I wonder if it's hearkening back to man and woman, he created them. Mm. I wonder. Yeah. I, I just think all of, I, I think part of my, my brain as being an English person, um, literature minded is just seeing how much, like the repetition that's in Genesis one through um, three, seeing the, you know, the key phrases that pop up or when there's a turn, right. When there's something that's different, like I'm not a Hebrew scholar, um, but like the, the word for dominion that's used in Genesis one is different than the word that's used in rule in, in chapter three. Mm -hmm. And, and so you start to look at, okay, well, why wouldn't he use the exact same if it is the exact same way we're supposed to, to understand it. And, I, you start to see that what God is revealing about himself. Um, and I made my students, I, after we finished um, chapter three, I guess, no, I was after we finished chapter two, I made them pause. No, it was chapter three. I made them pause and list out for me. I was like, ignore everything you know about the rest of the Bible. Ignore, even if you know about Jesus, ignore it. And I just want you to tell me, what do you know about God just based on these three chapters? And the list I got was like in one of the classes, I ended up crying because it was just so like overwhelmingly, what a beautiful image they had of like a God who was orderly, a God who loved creation, a God who was not arrogant and made them co-rulers, like a God who was a protector and a God who um, like, a God who sought them out, a God who didn't abandon them, a God who forgave them. Like it was just this amazing list mm. about our God. And I was like, okay, so that's what you know about God. I was like, is that how you think about God in the Old Testament? And I mean, to a student, no. <laughs> right, like, right, yeah. And I was like, you're right. And we don't talk about him that way either, do we? No. Like. And, and we noted like, God is not angry. God's not angry in the entire book of Genesis. Like go look at it again. He's not even angry at the flood. He, he doesn't, he's not angry with them. And there's a lot to be angry about. <laughs> right. Um, just the patience of our God. And I said, if that's 
what we get. If that's all, I was like, in literature, when you get introduced to a character in those kind of beginning chapters, whatever it looks like, when you first get introduced to a character, there's going to be things that are going to happen later in the book when it's not revealed the motivation of the character, why they do what they do. And so how do you know? How do you, what do you check it against? You check it against what you know about that character. Yeah. So later when God does something that's going to boggle our minds, or we might be tempted to believe that our God is evil or whatever it is, like go back and check it. Like is, are we changing the character of God? Because I, I, I think we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we especially do in the Old Testament. We we turn him into this God that is punitive and he is full of wrath and he hates creation and he loathes sinners and all these things. And, and even sometimes we make him that he excuses sin. And I just don't, I, I struggle. Like that's my, when we start turning God into that, I go, but that's not, that's not who he is. And so even when he claims right to be angry, then I have to go, okay, what's making him angry there? Yeah. Um, huh. But that's not how Genesis is taught in ours. Our, our My church body teaches it as it's just straight history and straight science. And I, ah, it's so <laughs> frustrating because I'm like, this isn't like God's like hate letter to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like, <laughs> why are you treating it that way? Why are we letting Ken Ham go up there and and argue that this is like some, how arrogant are we as American Christians to think, well, we finally figured it out, all those dummies before us, but we got it. And the scientists and the dummies now, right? Like, yeah. um, I just like that. I always think to myself, and this is part of what made me go, okay, cool. I'm stepping out. Like, I'm in good company. Like the church thought that Galileo was going to dismantle <laughs> right. the, the church. Like, yeah. oh no, we're not the center of the universe. Um, and and it's interesting because if you were reading the scriptures where the earth had to be the center of the universe, well then sure. When somebody presents a new question and a new idea and some new truth and science, then it, it made you either dismiss what he was proposing or leave the faith or like, right. I, I like what a weird time in our history is the church. And I regularly, I don't know. I kind of want to say to Christians today, like, how come you trust? Like, do you not trust that Galileo is right? Like, do you, do you still think that we're the center of the universe? Like, how come that, how come we can accept that from science, but we can't accept other things? Like what happens if we find life on Mars? Like, is that going to change your, your belief about Jesus Christ dying and rising from the dead. Like I'm going to be fine, but are you like, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. And I think some of it has to do. Oh, sorry. No, go go ahead. Well, so Ryan, your original question was like, how does that color the rest of it? I, I think that I would be lying if, um, the Brett Kavanaugh hearing, not to get political. Uh, <sighs> sorry. No, it's about, um, I have probably have a similar feeling to you. Go ahead. It just, it, uh, it wrecked me a little bit uh, to, to watch my brothers and sisters in Christ 
defame a person who is saying just their truth of what had happened to them and to defend this other person that I don't know. I, I guess we still don't know the, the truth, but um, I'm going to go ahead and say rape culture is not like a thing of the past. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And I have plenty of uh, experience personally and teacher and all that to know that like, oh, this is something we got to talk about as, as Christians. And I realized that part of what was, motivating that was even if it was just subconsciously was this order of creation like we he's but he's a good man right like that was or i had somebody who said to me you must be so afraid for your son and i was like what <laughs> and i have a daughter i have a son and a daughter um and the thing they said was like now anybody can say anything about him and it will, like, he could be ruined. Anybody could say whatever he wanted about him. Boy. And I was like, uh, I don't know what to do. But it, and I don't blame, like, honestly, I don't blame, uh, yes, I blame individuals, but I blame, we're kind of in a pre-Reformation era where we treat our pastors as, like, you teach us what we're supposed to believe, and we don't really want people to believe on their own. Like we say that we do, but we don't really want them to. So it's kind of like, I'm sure these are just things they heard parroted to them. Mm -hmm. But it made me, like I had a lot of problematic texts in scripture that the thing that was problematic to me was how they were presented to me hmm. um, as a woman. Uh, because I I read texts that I went, um, I don't know, to me, Judges 19 is the most horrifying story, I think, in all of scripture. Um, it's a story where a Levite man is traveling back with his um, wife and uh, they stop in an Israelite town and the Israelites bang on the door and actually ask for the, for the Levite man to be brought out that they might have sex with him. And the response of this old man that's housing the, the, the Levite is, like, don't do this outrageous thing. Like, how dare you do this vile thing? Here, take my daughter and his wife instead. And, like, I, I have to read that story every year to my students. And I wish that I could say that I don't cry regularly. But I do, because it's just, like, how horrifying that that's just, like, first of all, <laughs> uh, I guess homophobia is a thing always <laughs> at yeah. least in that scenario because they're like don't do that here rape my daughter um that's better um but the like response of my students when i get done reading that story is just like what and they rape his wife until she dies does, yeah. and he cuts up her body and sends it throughout the the towns i'm like that's the end of the story of of judges and it's just this like how far we've come as God's people and we're just like the Canaanites. And I, I've always been revolted by that story, but I think the thing that always bothered me is that the, the story right before Judges 19, at least the major story right before that, is the story of Samson. And it's a lot of just, we just, we don't know the Old Testament and we treat them like kids' stories, mm -hmm. but like Samson is propped up like a biblical hero 
which is gross for a lot of reasons. Uh, but the main reason is like, he's just a man whore with rage issues. Mm -hmm. And if you read the entire book of judges and you understand themes and you understand how story works and character arcs and like all of it being a part of a greater compilation of the old Testament and you know, the whole scriptures, it's like, Oh, the point of Samson is not to make him a hero. Actually, we're supposed to read the story of Samson and be horrified mm -hmm. that even the judges that God sent to save the people from idolatry are participants in it and saving the people from moral corruption are participants in it. And, uh, and so then you get to Judges 19, and if you believe that Samson is this hero, then either you skip Judges 19, and to be honest, I didn't read Judges 19 until after college. Like, I'd never read that story before. And it just kind of is dismissed. I think we don't know what to do with a story like that. But if you don't, if you aren't willing to say that, like, oh, scripture might be telling some themes here and not just straight history. Like I, I believe it is history, but I believe it's telling it in a way to communicate something greater. Then you just skip that story. And, and so then what are we leaving people with? We're leaving people with like, Oh, this chauvinist, disgusting, like guy that rips apart a lion for kicks. Like he's a hero. So how do we handle that? Right. And then like, I don't know. I've never once heard the story of David and Bathsheba where it says David rapes Bathsheba. Right. Yeah. But I can't not read like that's yeah. the, the honest, only that's way to look great. at it. Yeah. <laughs> during during Brett Kavanaugh's hearing, I just I was reading that story and I just like like I wept in class because I was just reading it and I was like, oh my God, like we can't even find it in ourselves to write the subheading in the scripture, like the, 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 the title above the chapter, we can't even just say David rap, rapes Bathsheba. It says David and Bathsheba. Hmm. And like, again, I don't know if you guys had the same experience as a kid, but I remember being taught the story of David and Bathsheba. And it was always painted as like a Nicholas Sparks novel. Like, hmm. oh, Bathsheba got to like, live the Disney princess dream. Like she got mm. to be brought into the King's house and, uh, and then we kind of just go up oh, and, and David was forgiven. And, and that's after what we're God's supposed, own to heart. We're supposed to forgive. Yeah. Um, and, and I have a church body that like, even in the, the study Bible that we use, there's like notes at the bottom. And I've found that anytime that I get to a story that involves rape or involves a person in power using their power to oppress other people, like it's just, it feels like we're justifying horrible acts and doing so because of this, like, I don't know, it feels like it's connected to that orders of creation stuff. It feels like it's connected to this idea that uh, there must be some good here. And oh, well, no, that that is definitely an example of what you're talking about. It's um, I wonder, I don't know. I just I wonder if it's partly because you know this is the Bible, this is God's word, so we have to find something good in it. I think maybe you yeah. said that actually. Um, it's interesting. I got done because I so I make my students when they when they read. There's some like biblical themes that are introduced in the first chapters of the Bible that I encourage them to like notice if those pop up again, because there's so much repetition in scripture and 
American readers think that Hebrew is just sloppy because they just keep repeating things and they're like, yeah, come on, right click the source, man, get a new <laughs> yeah. word. But it's like, no, they're doing that on purpose, you dummies. Um, or they'll include details that as a kid, I always thought, why is that detail there? Oh, it must be just there randomly. But then when you realize there's some, there's some themes here, you're like, oh man, I wonder if that's there for a reason. Like I was just reading the story of um, Elijah and the widow. I was just teaching that with my students. And it, it records that the widow was gathering sticks at the gate, which is like a dumb place to gather sticks, first of all. But then why tell us she's gathering sticks? And it says it twice. And then Elijah essentially is presented with, or he, uh, the widow is presented with, either I use these sticks to make a final meal for my son, or I do what this man of God asks and I make him a meal. But that'll mean that my son is going to die sooner. And I was reading it with my students and it was interesting because I, I just always ask them like what details stand out or if they notice a thing. And a kid said, I feel like the, the sticks is something about like the tree of life. Like there has to be something of like, why like the trees, right? That whenever we see wood sticks, what is this? And in the class, like a student, like a 17 year old girl said, wait a second, this is just like the story of Abraham and Isaac. Hmm. And I was like, tell me more like what, like this is amazing and it was funny because i was thinking yeah I, I was i was like i don't know maybe i'm reading into this i'm not gonna say it with, with my students because i want to read into it i want to let them do it and so then this girl was like yeah abraham is asked to like sacrifice his son because that's what god wants him to and he i mean i know you care about the story ryan but like <laughs> he he's supposed to like he has that choice to make and as a uh, we might think that's crazy he goes with the choice that god asks him to and then God saves his son. And she does the same thing. She can either choose her son or what this man of God has asked her to do. And she chooses that. And like, how cool is that? And it's just, yeah, I, I that's amazing. Like, yes, those things are connected. Like we've got to, we've got to see how those things all work out. So then you even see things like the story of David and Bathsheba literally the verbs that are used. It says, David saw the woman noticed that she was beautiful, desirable to the eyes, and then he took her. It's the exact verbs of the story of Eden. Like they saw the fruit, noticed it was desirable, and took it. Uh. It's the same thing that happens with Hagar. It's the same thing that, like, it's just story after story where you see that God is trying to reveal who he is, but also trying to reveal humanity and I remember asking my students after we got done with the David stuff, because I really, like, I made them read it and tell me all the things that they thought. And I had a girl who said, um, I never, I always thought that Bathsheba would have wanted to go to David's house at the end of that story. But now I realized how scared she must have been. Hmm. And I made her walk me through her thought process and she, she shared it in front of the class. And she basically said, this is the man who raped her. And when she got pregnant, she doesn't know for certain, but that her husband died at the end of this. And now she's the only one besides David who knows what happened. And now he's bringing her into his house. Like, is he gonna kill her too? Is he gonna rape her again? is like, what is his end goal with this? And she has no idea. And I just kind of like sat there for 
honestly like a full minute just digesting it because I've never I've read that story a lot and I've never even thought about that and I watched it I mean this is all happening with masks on because we're in the pandemic but a boy sitting next to her turned and said I've I never would have seen that Hmm. and it like I was overwhelmed with the things that she had presented but then I just had this like like I, I gasped for a second because I was so excited that I was like, oh, she got to pose a thought mm. and a boy learned from it. Like <laughs> it felt very like full circle for me a little bit of yeah. maybe sometimes because we do the orders of creation stuff and I come from a church body that doesn't believe in um, female ordination and I do not want to be a pastor. So do not make me be a pastor. I'm not at all fighting for that right. Um, but it did make me wonder like, how often are men having conversations about these stories in the Bible exclusive of women being there? Um, And whether or not they have to be pastors in order to do that, like that young girl presented something that if she was in that room with a bunch of male theologians, would they have heard her? Um, but if she hadn't been there, they wouldn't have even considered it. Gen- I mean, like, yeah. I don't think I ever thought of it that way until I heard a woman speaking on a podcast I was listening to. She was making a lot of the same points you did. And I was like, man, how did I read that and not realize that that was what was going on? Yeah. You know, And it took um, someone who has that perspective and fear that I don't have because I'm a man. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think of it that way. And this is like, well, yeah, gosh. One, that's terrible. <laughs> Two, that's why we need to have everybody's voice at the table for this yeah. stuff. Because we all yeah. have things like that. Esau, Esau McCulley is a professor at Wheaton, and he wrote a book called um, Reading While Black. Hmm. And it's just him kind of presenting like the different points in the story that he, right, his perspective as being a, a, a black reader uh, and specifically you know american and he talks about it as having like a motivated readers like when you're motivated i'm gonna pay way more attention to how women are hmm. treated and things about women in the story like i'm sure ryan you're way more aware of how homosexuality is discussed mm-hmm. nate oh my goodness the oppression of men <laughs> right just how much men you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm making fun of you, Nate. Sorry, um, but you know everybody's got their own their own thing, and even probably just in general, like how you like you read stories differently. I, I read stories about being a parent now that I am one. Like yeah. it's really hard to read any story involving the worship of Moloch, because um, Moloch requires child sacrifice, and all I can picture is like, oh my gosh, like were were these women doing it? like because they wanted to was it being like i just have a really hard time picturing placing my baby in the hands of of malik um and watching it die uh i also way understand the incarnation right like i've been pregnant um so that's like just an interesting esau mccauley's point is if we have like you were saying ryan if we have more motivated readers like we're all gonna understand better what the scriptures say if everyone's allowed to say how they're reading it. In in the church uh, experience that I have, people have talked wonderfully about Abraham oh. for so long. I'm sick of it. It's like, 
Abraham's one of the worst people in the ancient days. I mean, okay, he he didn't tell his son about what was going on that whole time. And, you know, kids are smart. They would kind of figure it out. It didn't take until the mountain for him to figure that out what was going on. And then he passes his wife around as if it's his sister or she's his sister and just doing awful things. Because if it was his sister, that would be okay. Well, yeah, but it, you know what I mean? The text yeah. says that. No, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah, but even that. My students learn that he whored out his wife. That's what I teach them to say. <laughs> He's yeah, a really he good whore out his wife, yes. And same with David and Bathsheba. I, I haven't had that one revelation. That was something that I was soaking in as you were talking, but certainly David raped her. I think there's like no question. And as you were talking about Samson too, it's like Delilah's yeah. painted as the bad person. It's like, no, come on. Yeah. Samson's an asshole. We got to, we got to just recognize that that's what's going on in the book yeah. full of assholes. Judges <laughs> is like the worst book for all of that kind of stuff, or at least one of them. There's some good um, ones in there, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Judges is not painting a happy picture. And actually the best looking one is the woman. Oh, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Don't tell all the men though. Cause They'll be insecure about oh, it. Oh, I remember in the class that I took at Sam, they they uh, you know dwindled that down to oh yeah, there there's some good stuff about oh. women too. It's basically is what it was. Yeah, but it was always taught to me of like, but she only did it because the yeah. man wouldn't. Yeah, Which, yeah, that's I what mean, I heard. That's true. Too. She did it because he wouldn't, but that was like not in a way to um, make her any less. You know. Yeah. So I I mean other people at the table are necessary, especially for people like me who white guys who don't have to think about that stuff unless, you know, those folks like you and and Ryan are at the table. So yeah, I'm all for that, of course. And we need more of it. We need more to understand those little moments of, uh, well, what I was experiencing. And I think most people were experiencing as you were talking about, um, some of these well, old I think Testament too, stories. Like, I, I never want to, my fear with kind of where we're at in our culture right now is that white privileged men wouldn't say what they're thinking or feeling. Cause, uh, I also want to hear that too, because I want to hear what your thought process is. Like, help me understand why you, why you don't think what I'm saying is right. Right. Like, or help me understand how you've been reading it so that I can either see what might be good and right about your side or help you understand what your blind spot is. Like I had a student, they're 17. So I, I have these conversations a lot, right? Like, but when I was teaching the David and Bathsheba story, uh, a student said like something to the effect of like, why was she bathing on the roof? She was asking for it. And, and I, again, they're 17. Um, I've heard, I've heard old men say that too. (laughs) that's true um which is interesting because i was like um she's smart that's why she's bathing on the roof because she wants a hot bath and on top of it she's the faithful one like she's following the levitical (laughs) law like you're yelling at her for being faithful um but it was interesting because they said that and i've you know I feel like at this point, kids have learned, don't say stuff like that in front of Salzburg. She's going to call you on it. Um, And so I had said, um, can you do me a favor and just ask 10 women, they don't have to be women, you know, although they could be like, can you ask them when in their life, like, what would be an instance where they would ask to be raped? Like, what, what is like, whoa, I'd really like to be raped right now. Um, 
And he was like, like he got all like tense because I called out (laughs) to him on this thing. And I had said, you know, it's interesting. Like I would love, you know, I, I was like, I'm going to say it. I, I like having sex with my husband, but I would not like to be raped by my husband. Like, isn't, do you see the difference? Like even him, I'm never asking, like, I don't want my husband to rape me. And I feel like that's a part of like, and it was, it was interesting because one of the kids was like, I can't believe you said that. And I was like, but that's like, if I don't let that kid say that to me, then he's going to keep saying that, right? Or he's going to keep believing it. And I think that's part of why we've gotten where we are is because when we don't let even voices outside of the church say something that is kind of countering what's being shared, then no one's calling anyone on that kind of BS that that's being said or thought. And I know like the conservative church bodies are scared where we are right now because the the fear is like, oh no, we're gonna lose control or lose power. And I don't even say that a hundred percent as everybody's malicious because I don't think that's it. I think it's just like the fear of of change yeah. and 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 like what does that mean if I've been saying this? Like it is is my faith really being attacked or, or not? Um, or what if I'm wrong? Um, I think there is a lot of malicious stuff there. Um, but yeah, but yeah. So I'm curious, um, what, I mean, just kind of overall, what has been the reaction you've gotten? I mean, you've talked about the reactions you get from your students, but like, I remember like being in churches that would like freak out if somebody talked about reading <laughs> Harry Potter and I'm thinking about like the kind of stuff yeah. which you're reading from the Bible, right? But I just wonder of like how has this been received either by their like have parents or even like the um the administration in your school? Like honestly, I'm listening to you tell your story and I've just been consistently surprised that you have been able to do this in the environment that you're in. Um it's interesting because, as I said, I I am willing to have anything be tested. So if you, I I had a student who asked me. This was a couple of years ago. Had asked me, "Do you think that you are reading? Like, do you think that you are reading with your own bias on this particular? Like, they didn't say it like that, but basically, like, are you reading this because?" that's how you feel or is this really what's in there? And I had that question with a student and I, and I've thought regularly, like if, what would a, what would a conversation with a parent look like if they asked that? And with the student, I just said, do you see what I'm saying? Like once I said it, were you able to see it? And they were like, yes. And I was like, do I know 100% that that's why the author wrote it the way that they did? No. Does it check against the rest of scripture, what I've presented? Yeah. Um, and so my attitude with it is I, I try to approach everything with that as much as I can, a level of humility of like, I have no idea. Like, uh, I love when my students ask questions and I'm like, that's brilliant. Like we'll go down a rabbit hole of like, Oh, you're right. And it can mean that. And like, what if it means that? And then at the end I'll go, I don't know if that's true, but what you said all like, if it doesn't, if it doesn't change the character of God, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, and, 
I think there was that freedom to say, yeah, I, I, you might be right. I might be wrong. Um, I, I've honestly not had any conversations with parents about it. And in terms, I have an amazing, um, no, I teach at a school with eight full-time theology teachers and I have a department head who is very encouraging. Um, he's our campus pastor and he reminds me a lot of, um, that pastor that I had in confirmation that just kind of let us ask questions and wonder, and we don't always know. Um, I, I think I'm intelligent. Uh, I, I, I have my undergrad in this, but I have a master's degree in like my, my thesis, my master's thesis is on the theological significance of the peace offering. Uh, so I know what you're talking about. I yeah. think that's nerdy enough that <laughs> no, I, no, there you go. <laughs> I, I named my kid Hosea. So <laughs> I feel like if you're going to name your kid after a guy that's asked to marry a whore, people kind of back off. You're um, almost as bad as the sim sim couples. They all they when they have babies there, they all come out with this old is my baby Hezekiah. Okay. That's right. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um it's actually why I get whenever somebody names their kid Jonah, I'm like, have you read that book? I know. Jonah's <laughs> a kind of a bitch, you Jonah, know. But not the not the greatest guy. Um, but I I don't know. For me, I've had situations where people have said, like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't see what you're saying. Um, and I'll go, cool. I might be wrong. You're right. Um, but I also might be right. <laughs> um, and so I don't have a lot of, I, I honestly have not gotten flack for what I'm teaching, but I also had a kid who one time said, um, is what you're teaching, um, Lutheran, which is my denomination. Only once? Well, yeah, one to my face. Well, most kids don't know, right? Like, or our church okay. has kids that aren't, or our school has kids that aren't a part of it. But he said, is what you're teaching, he said, is what you're teaching Lutheran? And I said, let me ask you a question. Is what I'm teaching biblical? And he oh, said, burn. he said, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Luther is rolling over in his grave that you even made a distinction. And I think that to come back full circle, like on all this, I feel like that's the thing that kind of a little bit subconsciously messed me up a bit was that I went to a Catholic grade school for half of my grade school and I was welcomed by the Catholic grade school to ask questions of the like, you know, the namesake uh, of the I'm guy that kind of like booted, you know, like this whole thing. And they, they welcomed it. And I, when I first heard the story of Luther, I was just like, really, I, first of all, I was blown away by, by his wife. Like, I'm like, oh, she's a spirit animal. Perf perfect. Like I get her. Um, I, I like the idea of a renegade nun, uh, but like, it was just really interesting. I remember hearing that and being really encouraged. And that happened. I think my, my junior year of high school, maybe it was an advanced Lutheran doctrine. Maybe that's what was advanced about it. Um, but I remember learning his story and was like, oh, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to ask questions. Like we're supposed to dig in. We're supposed to challenge what is being taught. Not, not for the sake of dividing the church. I actually think that did some damage, a lot of damage to our ability to converse theologically. Like there were just as many disagreements in the church prior to the reformation, but we didn't divide over it. We just kind of said, I mean, there's some stuff in the early, like, 
I don't need to get into nerdy history stuff, but people disagreed, but it was still like, oh yeah, but we're still a part of this together. It's just, you think this and we think this. And then I think what happened was when we started dividing and now there's umpteen number of denominations, we've kind of said, you have to know the answers. And if you know the answers about XYZ doctrine, you fit into, it's like, we're taking a Buzzfeed quiz. Like which, this is what I believe about this doctrine. Which, which denomination are you? And then what happens is we, we stop asking questions about what does scripture say? And we start asking, what does my church believe? And I, I love my church body. I want to be a part of it. Um, but I also want to learn and grow and have conversation. And I don't want to be so arrogant so as to believe, oh, we figured it out and nobody else has. Um, and I, I sometimes think that's how I, my denomination is not unique in that. I think that's every denomination. Well, let me ask you this, because we we do like to ask this question. It's one that we ask ourselves. But since you said it, um, why do you still want to be in your tradition? Oh, yeah. Or why are you um, there? I I was raised in my tradition, um, and I've l- looked into a lot of other denominations, just in terms of like what do they think about different doctrines. I think part of it came from being a teacher, and like I always ask my students at the beginning of the year, they write a theological biography. Like, don't tell me what I want to hear; just tell me what you genuinely believe. Um, just cause I want to know where they're coming from. And in, in so doing that, right? Like there were some kids that just early on when they would share a denomination that was different than mine, I looked into it of like, what do you think there? And I, I think, as I said earlier on, on paper, I believe that what we say is our hermeneutical, I know you guys made fun of exegetes earlier. I see myself as an exegete. But I Nate hope, does that all the time. I hope you think I'm a cool one. Um, but I, I, in terms of just the exegetical approach of hermeneutics, looking at like, okay, what is like the context, the immediate context? What is the cultural background teaching me? What, how, how does it fit into the whole book? How does it point forward to Jesus? Like, I truly believe we have not a perfect, but I, I think in terms of what I've looked at in other denominations, I like what we praise as the most important rules of, of hermeneutical principles in interpreting scripture. And so I think that's what led me to like where I stand on what I would determine to be more key doctrines of like, what do I believe the purpose of scripture is? What do I believe the power of the scripture is? Um, what do I believe uh, like about baptism and about communion? And um, I don't know. I don't, know how many other ones are but like just kind of for me those key ones and I go okay cool yeah I I I align with that um I think sometimes in practice what we're doing is not in accordance with that and I think one of the things that I I I say to people is we're really good at reading scripture in context but we're not always great um in reading our confessions in context so we we love to talk about like what did you know what was going on in Corinth at the time, but we don't look at like well why do you think Martin Luther was so fixated on forensic justification, um, and is that what 
people today need? Is that the issue of 21st century America? And it's not. Um, and I actually don't think that forensic justification is the predominant gospel metaphor of the scriptures. I know. See, but you can't think I'm a heretic. You already made well, a promise. You can't you kick have, me out. You don't um, have to convince me about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, I, I, I just look at it and go, oh, okay. I don't know. They, I, I, I don't want to go anywhere else. I, here's what it is. I'm afraid that if I left this particular denomination, I would not be a part of any church body. Um, they got me. It's a cult. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I say that because I, I can't, I can't do this alone. Um, and I don't believe God has asked me to, um, because I so value the corporate nature of God's, of God's way of doing things. Like I, I do believe that the gift of the church and I look at the Israelites and the gift they have in their corporate worship and their corporate faith. And I, I know that I could do it by myself, but I don't want to because I, I so value having the cloud of witnesses in my life. And I, I just know that I would find fault in any denomination. There's, there's no way you wouldn't. And anybody who thinks differently is uh, committing, <laughs> uh, they're making an idol out of whoever their reformer is. Um, and I just kind of want to look at it and go, okay, well, if I, if I leave it, then nothing's going to grow there. Um, and if I stay, then I, I get, I get to teach 150 kids every year to read scripture, like really read it, like, and not read it because there's a test at the end, like just because maybe the God of the universe has chosen to limit himself to human language. That's bonkers. Like he doesn't have to do that. He did it. And we get to like read it and understand these timeless truths. And if I, if I stick with this, with this church body and these schools, then I'm not actually, I don't think I'm teaching anything that's counter to the doctrine that I've helped. I, I've not, I don't know, to my knowledge, I've not said anything that's like, well, she's out. Um, but yeah, I have all these, one of the reasons I love teaching the old Testament is by nature, you've got motivated readers. Like the old Testament is the sex, drugs and rock and roll. There's crazy stories in there. And there's, and there's a lot of stories that have been used against people so harshly. And I love to be yeah, able to read those stories yeah. with students and, and present them with like, I don't know what, what is the, what if it's not the black and white answer? Like, what if there's a whole lot more gray and nuance? And I, I start class with Psalm 1 that says, blessed is the man who meditates on the word of Yahweh. Um, and that word meditates is the Hebrew word Hagah, which it's like meditate is such a, I don't know, it feels like a yoga master. Um, but I teach my students that it's like a, like a cow <laughs> chewing on cud. Like a cow's got four stomachs. Like you chew on it and you swallow it and then you vomit it back up and you chew on it again. And like, that's what God asks us to do with his word. And yeah, 
it means that I don't have all the answers. And I love like 21 year old, just graduated from college. I was super young. Me, like I thought, what an idiot. I thought I knew so much. Like what a, what oh, a yeah. ass. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like even last year, I thought I knew so much. Like you dummy. Like if I, if I continue to go in this life and I ever feel like I peaked in understanding something, then it means that I stopped learning and I stopped asking questions and I stopped listening to people. Um, and I don't know. I love that I get to teach that to students and I, I love, I love the ones that have been broken a little bit by the church and probably broken by a high school version of me, right? Like broken by the, the Pharisees. Um, mm -hmm. right. And like, I've had way more conversations about like with students. I think I'm just known now as a teacher that's willing to talk about like transgender issues or um, sexuality issues of like, I, I, I presented myself a little bit as a safe haven. And I had a student who came and talked to me and um, she, um, she was considering like she, she thinks maybe she's transgender and she didn't really know and she wanted to talk to me because she is like firm in her faith and like a part of her church like she was a prominent person in her church and like i asked why she came to me and she was like uh i wanted to know what like i wanted to know what you would say because like i just trusted that if you said all of this is wrong that maybe it's wrong, uh, which was a really scary place to be um, in someone's life. Yeah. And the thing I said to her was, I have, I have no fucking clue. Like, I don't. Like, I really don't. And <laughs> yeah. I told her, I was like, please, whatever you do, like, please don't ever let anyone tell you something that would make you think that you need to kill yourself. Like, that's just... It's horrifying how many kids I have those conversations with, right? Um, but she, we were talking about it, and I was like, I can tell you what certain verses in scripture say, but I can present to you a lot of like, to me, I think the background is helpful in understanding really when, when maybe we've overextended its application, right? So talking about the Genesis 1, and like, like, these guys didn't, like... <laughs> Nobody knew about any of genetics. Like, what? No, like, that's not. Moses is not talking about any of, you know, X chromosomes, Y chromosomes. Like, he doesn't know any of that stuff. Um, but she looked at me and with tears in her eyes, she said, So, so what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like so sweet. Like, I love her so much because she, she's a girl that would never say anything in class, right? So she did not mean anything by it. And I said, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of Christ, is, love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And I was like, I know that. And I was like, I have to believe that transgenders in there too. Like, none of like none of that. Like, what would I was like, if I'm if I'm wrong, like I was like, even if I'm wrong and the God of the universe wants me to tell you 
you are wrong for even thinking these things and do not ever do this. Even if I'm wrong in that, <laughs> God told me <laughs> that I didn't screw up his gospel proclamation. Like, but if I'm, if I'm right and we don't know, or even that this isn't a matter of God's love for you or your proper identity or whatever it is, even that isn't limiting the gospel. Um, but I don't know that that's where a lot of our church body comes from. And I, mm -hmm. I thought about this a lot, Ryan, when I was listening to your, to your story and I so appreciated you, you sharing that. And I really, I don't know, there's part of me that wants to share that with a number of people in my life um, because they, there's only so much I can say. Um, but I, I'm not saying this to justify where anyone has come from in any of those conversations. But what I found is everybody, for the most part, has at least a little bit of them that is that. 15 year old Sarah that is just desperately afraid that they are going to give the wrong answer. And I see this motivation in a lot of these conversations of if I say, I don't know, or if I even give any slight indication that I condone something that I'm, I don't know if I'm supposed to think is sinful, that I'm going to screw it up and the God of the universe is going to get mad at me. Um, and then I have like to all of that, like I have someone that I dearly love who um, their daughter is a, is, is gay. And in her mind, in the, in the mom's mind, if I tell my daughter that I love her and that everything's okay, that when I get to heaven, God's going to say I did that wrong. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that her answer is right because she's leaving her daughter to feel like she's not loved by God, let alone her, her own mother. But I, I, I hurt for her because I'm looking at her going, oh, she, she, she's in the same boat that she's putting her own daughter in. Like she believes that the God of the universe is looking at her and saying, don't screw this up. And if you screw it up, I'm done. And I think all that comes back to like, you guys haven't read Genesis one through three. Like, have you, do you know our God? Like he's super yeah. loving and he's super likes you guys. Like he, he thinks you are, I don't know. Our, our God likes us a lot and he's forgiving and he's patient and he's very understanding of this broken world and just wants us to take care of each other and maybe bring, bring some of God's presence to these scenarios that was a whole lot of me. I'm so mm. sorry. No. Don't be sorry. We love that. That's awesome. And we need more of that. We need more of that all across the spectrum from pastors to teachers to moms and dads. I'm not naturally this way where I can easily speak into this, but I'm just convinced that people do not believe that God is gracious and that he is loving. People just do not believe that. And what's really kind of the irony of the world that we find ourselves in right now, the people who tend to believe that more are people who are not part of the church. Mm -hmm. 
And it's just remarkable to me how many people who call themselves followers of Jesus and are followers of Jesus do not see God through the loving, caring, compassionate, understanding, patient lens that the scripture gives us, even in the Old Testament, or maybe, Sarah, you might say, especially in the Old Testament. I would. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you're when your theological system, and not just yours, mine was this way in spades, everybody's, can be boiled down to do it right or God's gonna get you. I, I mean, how did I mean we have I have some ideas of how, but like on the other how did we get to that? How did we take the loving God and go there? And then, but then when, but then out of the other side of our mouth, we're like, forgive David, love David. Mm. Like, it's such a, it's so hard, like, to, to see that some people get the free pass and others don't. And mm. how, how do we deal with that? Like, I, I don't know, like, really, I told my students, I was like, I, are you struggling with David? And one, one girl very sweetly said, I am because I I really like the Psalms and I don't know if I can like the Psalms. Mm. And I was like, this is like a Michael Jackson, like R. Kelly situation. Like David's not getting royalties. Like I think you're okay. Um, but I do, I do think that is tough. We do. We've decided that there are some things that we can go. You're okay on and some things you're not. And then my question is always why, like, why is that ours? And how come I'm responding to the culture when I, yeah when I say something that's not what you think, but you're not responding to your 1950s lens, like um, that, that, that doesn't make sense to me either. Yeah. It's when they say uh, you just have to read your Bible as if people like you and me or anybody yeah. haven't done that. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I know. Thanks. Probably read it just as much, <laughs> if not more, <laughs> you know? especially on those texts that, yeah. matter to us yeah. <laughs> very very much so but they did 10 minutes of googling so they're good <laughs> yeah. yeah well and it's again like i don't i don't i empathize not that i always think it's right but i i mean i know that i've never been in a position where i'm from i automatically have power um because of my existence uh so i can only imagine the people that do have that and then going, Oh, but what if, what if you shouldn't have all the power? Like uh, that, that'd be very scary. And, and I can say as a teacher, like when I finally let go and admitted that I don't have all the answers and let and relinquish some of that power and control in my own classroom, it was scary at first. It was scary to say, you can ask whatever questions you want and me not know the answer or me have to dig in and me have to admit, oh, you know more than me in XYZ area. Like that was really scary as a young teacher. And now I'm like, please challenge me, right? Like, but none of my, none of the male teachers that did that to me were young. So they didn't have that, <laughs> they don't have that freedom. <laughs> but like, I, I do get the, the fear that I'm going to lose all, all my control and I'm going to lose Wow. I love when people say like they want more than they want more than equal. Like I love Ruth Bader Ginsburg and I love her quote of till there were nine, but like, yeah. uh, like the idea that anyone wants more, like women want more than equal. Homosexuals want more than equal. I'm like, well, to be fair, equal would be if we got to be in control. Like if I, as a woman got to be in control of this whole system for 200 years yeah. and none of you guys had any rights, yeah. like 
I don't think we're going to get that ever. So, um, and, and I think the interesting thing is people often say, I don't know if you get this, Ryan, or if Nate, you have this with other things, but sometimes people will accuse me of like reading my politics or reading my cultural right. bias yeah. into the scriptures. Um, but no one ever gets that back. And I'm like, what? Don't you realize that that's already like that question alone is well as if anyone can bias? as if anyone cannot do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the same thing. It's it's like that thing was like, well, you just have to read your Bible. Well, I or I'm not talking from the culture. I'm whatever that means. I'm talking yeah. from the Bible, and it's like, um, okay. And then I just don't. I don't have energy for those conversations anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah. So out of curiosity, um, uh, just to switch it up at the end here, because yeah. um, this has been great. Uh, I did this with Bobby, and I'm curious. Um, maybe you've already done it, mm-hmm. but what is a hobby horse or an obscure <laughs> hobby horse with as a teacher that your students can get you off on a tangent of? Um that just, you know, kind of derails and is fun for both you and them? Oh, that's a good question. I think for me, two things. Number one, my students know uh, sacraments are my kryptonite. So like, (laughs) um, like when you see how baptism imagery is used in the Old Testament, um, it's just to me seeing how often God uses water to create and water to cleanse or to destroy evil or to deliver. Like that is, I'm always going to be drawn to those stories. Cause I just think how amazing that our God put that in the Bible before he even introduced baptism. <laughs> right. So that like when all of a sudden baptism is being used it's like oh yeah yeah yeah, that makes sense (laughs) why didn't we start doing that earlier um so my students know that if you're gonna if you're gonna make a connection to to baptism or my tradition would say the two sacraments baptism and communion like i'm gonna i'm gonna love that Um, extra credit yeah for sure I, i also love to me i well, A, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of the gross stories in the Bible. Uh, and, and the stories that are speaking of judges. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, and just like those stories that maybe are shockingly, I don't know. Sometimes they feel shockingly modern. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm drawn to those. Like one of my, one of my favorites, well, I'm drawn to them. And then I also just desperately want to figure out why, like, why is that story yeah. in scripture? <laughs> um, so I love if you're reading in Exodus, there's like God, first time God gets mad, he gets mad at Moses, actually. And he gets mad because Moses won't go. And then God gets pissed, like, you're going, I told you. <laughs> yeah. Like, quit yeah. Um, and the next time he gets mad, he gets mad at his people because of the golden calf. Anyways, but the, uh, the, story right after Moses goes. So God just yelled at Moses, you have to go to to Egypt. And then as they're walking along the way, it's three sentences, just three sentences that the angel of Yahweh, uh, who I, my belief based on reading all the scriptures is that that would be God himself and the pre-incarnate Christ. But he stops, 
he stops uh, Moses and his wife and he's going to put him to death. <laughs> yeah. And then the next verse says Zipporah grabs a flint knife and circumcises her son. Which I'm always like, how did she know that was the answer? Like, what if she was wrong? Like, she's putting all her chips on red there, yeah. (laughs) And then she takes the foreskin and she rubs it on Moses's feet. What? Like, uh, no one told her to do that either. Again, what if she was wrong? Uh, I told my students, I'm like, I have a lot of questions about this. Like, how did she know? Was she carrying the foot neck? How old was the son? These are all very important questions. But then the next line just says, and then the Lord let them alone. And like that story, you read it. And first of all, that's a classic story of, I never read that story ever yeah, until right. I started reading it on my own, because I think it's like, Oh, if you don't know the answer, just keep moving. Hmm. Or this is weird or archaic or whatever it is. And I don't to me, I look at those kind of stories and my students have figured out if they ever read a crazy story like that, just ask me because I'm gonna, I'm gonna riff on it for a while. Okay, yeah. But I, because even with that one, it's like, oh man, God introduced the idea of blood being the means for death to pass over. So in the story of the Passover, of course, there's blood as the way to mark you. Like, of course, at Mount Sinai with the Mosaic Covenant, blood is what seals. Like, that's so great. I love that. Um, So I I love all those stories. And, And anytime that there's a a story that involves, well, here's the other thing I'll say. My students know that if there's ever a word that seems like it's an odd choice or something there, they'll ask me, what is the word in Hebrew? Uh, and it's usually a bad translation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you guys got into that. I'm, I'm dealing more with the fun ones, but yeah. you guys got into one maybe with homosexuality. That's just, we've chosen a word and we've stuck with it. Right. Um, and a yeah. lot of times, a lot of times, I mean, it can be damaging, as you indicated, but it can also just be we limit the ability to understand stories because yeah. we chose a word that doesn't fit. It can really stagnate um, things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even like judges, right? Like the word judge, what a terrible translation in modern English. Like it <laughs> right. should be a savior, like a deliverer. And I think yeah. that would make it stand out even more that these are not then you read all the stories and you're like, well, none of those people are Jesus. Well, that's the point. (laughs) None of them are Jesus. So I got to nerd out with you real quick before we let you go. Um, Cause you were talking about uh, the word for word. I forgot what that was you were talking about. Oh, um, in, in Bathsheba and David, it's the, he saw. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a one-to-one in, and I just discovered this this year, so that's why I'm nerding out. In Genesis 33, when Esau meets Jacob, um, verse 4 of chapter 33, this threw me. I was like, where have I heard this before? Uh, Verse 4, but Esau ran to meet him, threw his arms around his neck, kissed him, and they wept. Mm. You know where that's from? I assume that's from the prodigal son. It is. And the only difference is, is that the father weeps, not they weep. The father Mm. weeps. And I thought, boy, that makes me rethink of, you know, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. If Jesus Mm. is like in that, then we've got to really rethink that, uh, (laughs) what that really means. Because usually we say, you know, 
Esau is a pile of shit because he's this manly whatever, so on and yeah. so forth. And J- Jacob is wonderful, even though he's awful he, too. Yeah, I think he might be the villain of that story. At least that part of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I just I I contemplated that a lot. We preached on that. I just mm. I love that uh, connection to Jesus there. And that's what makes me an exegete, Ryan, to defend my stance as an exegete, as you made fun of. Yeah, Ryan. Nate's the one that makes fun of you more than I do. Nate! Um, <laughs> no, that's not true. Okay, I just it's think, both of us. I think when you see, the, you see those words and that repetition, it just, I love how often God asks us to hyperlink in the stories like um, to, to take it all, which means that I have to read the whole thing and I can't do proof passages. And I don't know, I'm kind of at a place where I wonder, I, I'm definitely not a dogmatics person. I'm not a, I'm not a doctrinal person. I am much more of an exegete in that way because I just feel like maybe we've put too many boxes that we're trying to check. And what happens if we leave the boxes and we just read scripture? And then put it in practice and see how it changes the way that we live. Because I I think my predominant gospel metaphor, this will be how I wrap it up. I, th- I think my predominant gospel metaphor that I see throughout the entire scriptures is not forensic justification that's introduced in the epistles. Um, but it's it's God's presence with humanity. Hmm. And when you read the when you read Genesis in juxtaposition to all of these ancient Near East texts. The idea that the God of the universe would step down from his heavenly dwelling to walk in and amongst his people, not to, not to dictate them, not to oppress them, not to have sex with them, but to just enjoy them. And the idea that after even after the fall, he's promising his presence to them and he doesn't leave them. And he gives them a tangible means to be present with them and he constantly is being present with them. And then the God of the universe not only limits himself to human language, he limits himself to human flesh and is present with his people and he dies and he, even as he's ascending, promises to be present and he's present in the world through us that if I'm not reading the scriptures and understanding that the God of the universe chose to reveal himself to me and chose to save and redeem me in order that he might make his temple dwelling in my flesh so that I can go and be his presence in the world, then I like, I'm missing such a cool opportunity to bring Eden to people. And not because I'm some great person, because I'm just as big of a shit as David and Samson and all these other disgusting humans. In my heart of hearts, I am, I know. And I use people the same. And yet God's like, no, I can use that. And I I can I can I can work on changing you. And maybe this side of the resurrection, it isn't gonna happen completely, but I'm gonna bring Eden to the world through you. And every day when I drive to school, my prayer is um in James, it says that those who teach the word of God are judged more harshly. And every day I pray, God, don't let me screw this up. Please help me not teach something that is contrary to what you want your people to hear. And then every drive home, I, I pray First Corinthians 3 that says, Paul planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God makes it grow. And I'm like, God, take my shitty gardening and make something grow out of it. 
Um, and I trust that he's using his presence in me to be the gospel to other people. And I really hope that that's what my students see. I hope that's what they then do in turn. Um, but I can't know. And I'll just keep trying to understand that. Um, just a, a thought that I had real quick was, you may have already read this book, but um, I remember I, I took a class in seminary on Genesis 1 to 9 or 1 to 11 or whatever it is. And um, one of the books we had to read is called The Lost World of Genesis 1. It's by, yeah. Have you read that one? Uh, I, ha I have so many. <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. Well, then you don't need to read it again. I was I like to tell people no. that one because it's a great example of what you're talking about of, uh, you know, let's let's back up here. It's like back the truck up here, folks. Yeah. And let's think about what's going on. But another one that I'm actually in the middle right now is called seriously dangerous religion. I'm desperately reading a bunch of these books, hoping that somebody's going to say some things so that I don't ever have to write anything. Um, <laughs> but uh, seriously dangerous religion is really good. Understanding Genesis by Nahum Serna is probably the most dense book I've ever read to understand Genesis. Like I had to Google <laughs> a word in every sentence at least twice. Um, but uh, those ones are good. And then um, understand, uh, sorry, reading Genesis one through 11 well is another one that I've been poking around. Um, and again, I might be wrong in all this, but at least I'm asking the questions. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for being the kind of teacher that someone who's dealing with gender issues can come talk to in a Christian place and not leave that feeling terrible or or worse. Um, and also, like, I really appreciate the fact that there are Christians like you out there um, doing the like trying to show people that um not like you're not going around to people saying hey dummies even though it may feel like that sometimes but just kind of like giving people permission that hey it's okay and you can you can look around you can navigate you can explore and god's not upset about it and mm -hmm. i think even in my own group or well at both seminaries i went to i didn't feel like that was the case um and so i i just mm -hmm. i guess i would just say that I think you're right that the Bible can take it, that God is big enough to stand up to our questions and concerns and wonderments. And if not, we're kind of all wasting our time anyway. So I imagine it's not always been the easiest approach to take, but I appreciate you uh, you doing that and, and teaching your students that same that same thing. Thank you. I wonder if there's sometimes like a like a boogeyman out there that we we all believe that if we said what we really thought that X, Y, Z thing is going to happen. And I don't know that that's true. Like I was always afraid that if I, like when you ask, like, are, have you ever had conversations with the parents? I was really worried about that at the beginning. And I've never, hmm. I've never had that like really. And I don't know if it's cause like, we're all afraid that something's going to happen. That's not going to happen. And that's what keeps us from, from asking the questions or not. But I, I hope my husband did a documentary all about the stigma against mental health and, hmm. um, the whole thing is no one does it alone. And I really do think that the worst thing that can happen is if we let people do this stuff alone. And that's what I, that's what I think about with every student that comes to talk to me about whatever issues is like, if, if I leave them thinking that they can't come talk to me, they're going to try to do this alone. And I don't think that that's the best thing for anybody. Yeah. Um, so 
I'm glad you guys have this podcast because I think that there are people that need to hear whatever they're struggling with. Um, you're not alone. You're not the only person asking questions. And you're not the only person that is curious. And you're not crazy. You're not crazy. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I really enjoyed this conversation. And I want to say thanks to Sarah for coming on and talking with us and, and sharing all of these things. Um, I think it really makes a difference in people's lives, the kind of stuff you're doing. So, um, and we appreciate you taking some time for us. And I hope that for everybody who's listening to this episode, that it can help you as well. It just kind of reinforced the idea that it's okay to ask questions. God can handle it. You're okay. You know, it's, it's all right. And that you're not that you don't have to do that alone. If you felt that way, you don't have to do it alone anymore. You're not crazy. There are other people with you and it's okay. Um, so send us an email if you like, frontierfaithpodcast at gmail.com, just whatever you want to tell us. Uh, if you could uh, if you could rate our podcast five stars, please, <laughs> on whatever app you use, that'd be great just so more people can hear about it. And I'm told that we have things on Facebook as well at Frontier Faith Podcast on Facebook. So, yeah, anyway, like I said, Nate and I appreciate you taking some time with us to listen to these things, to contribute to for those people who've been on the show. Um, we appreciate it. And thanks for walking with us. And, you know, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And God will take care of us. 